the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC International Fight Week Breakdown. Let's go. Base. Up, you savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer from MixedMartialAnalyst.com. And today is a double header, a double whammy, if you will, as we're going to be breaking down International Fight Week first in the first half. Is Tough 25 finale from bottom to top. And in the second half, we'll be doing UFC 213 from bottom to top. So if you are in a rush, got places to be, as this is being recorded admittedly late. It's it's been a crazy week, but I got opinions for you on all the fights. I did the work. I uh, too much work probably, and uh, old Dan Tom's head didn't hold up half the nights, which uh, pushed this back a little bit. Because you got to look out for your health, people. But it is being recorded. Um, Thursday morning, whereas I actually wanted it to be out by now, so y'all probably won't be getting it till you know Thursday afternoon, late, late afternoon. And you're on the East Coast, and you'll be hearing yes, uh, Benjamin Rango in the background uh, moving about. Let's just hope there's no car alarms that go off. But yes, yes, the format is tough. Twenty five in the first half, UFC two thirteen in the back half. So bottom to top, you can kind of fast forward, go through appropriately. Although. You may miss some shit stories or something if you do, so just to warn you. Just kidding. Hopefully not, actually. Or hopefully I'm kidding. Or You know what I'm saying. The point is, thank you, Jordan Kaylee, for coming on and sharing some shit stories as I shared some shit stories. And we commiserated with Justine Keish on the last episode, uh, Top 5 MMA Walkouts. So that was fun. We actually got a lot of positive comments. Y'all seem to enjoy that very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the positive comments. And most importantly... Thanks, Jordan Killian, for coming on uh, over there with uh, Sam Alvey doing his thing for the Pound for Pound podcast. Shout out to those guys. And yeah, it is International Fight Week here in Vegas. But, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like it. Maybe because, you know, I've only made it down to the Strip, you know, once, you know, uh, see some friends. Uh, saw um, Most people weren't in town early on in the week. Uh, saw Jim Edwards, though, uh, and also uh, saw some, met some new friends. Uh, what is it? What was their names here? I got them written down. Uh, Farrell and Matt. There we go. That's right. Uh, uh, from, uh, I believe they were both from Ireland. At least one of them was Irish for sure. We've been drinking, and then they they came up and bought us a few more. So thank you guys. Shout out to you guys. Um, so it's, it's it's and it's good. It, you know, apropos to International Fight Week to have international faces around. But yeah, make no mistake about it. It's no you know, McGregor Fight Week by any means here in Vegas. Um, and, you know, from the sound of it, again, the journalists can probably, you know, speak better to this than me, but it just doesn't feel the same in that way, the way they're running scrums and, and in the order, uh, so forth, you know, et cetera. So it's kind of weird, but I don't know. I'm going to, you know, it's Thursday now, so th- it's a little bit of a busier day for the media guys, but I'm going to meet up with some people later. I'll hopefully see my man there, James Lynch from Canada, and uh, whoever else, uh, a lot of people, uh, whoever, everybody's in town, so we'll see whoever and and actually, you know, come out of my cave here uh, as the podcast is usually the last thing I do. All the written work is already up on MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Got the written breakdowns, picks, and plays uh, there. Um, yeah, I was going to maybe segue into some, you know, personal news. But uh, I'll save that for later because this is a long enough podcast. And I definitely don't want to damper the mood of any sorts. But I will say uh, we'll just leave it at a... Uh, 
that, that, that gamble that Dan Tom was uh, talking about. Uh, we have to go a little bit of a plan B, but we'll just say uh, Dan Tom's uh, Dan Tom's uh, open to some freelance right now. We'll just say that. I'll put that out there. Um, I'm, I'll be regrouping and coming back with you. With a stronger message in the coming weeks, got a lot of changes, in other words, is what I was trying to segue to. A lot of changes behind the scenes that I was alluding to, just unfortunately, mm, not quite in the way mm, was planning as, you know, life tends to go. But neither here nor there, we're still rolling strong, baby. Going strong, um, I, I, again, I'm uh, <clears throat> as, as confident as I you know, am in my work and, and the things that I do. And I, I do know it's being, you know, noticed and I'm not, you know, trying to be hard on myself in any means, but just want to, more reflect on the positive and thank you guys for sharing my work the positive comments y'all give me week after um, all, all the things uh, just want to let you know really 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 appreciate it. especially weeks like this where it's crazy you're kind of overwhelmed with work but now you see the light at the end of the tunnel you're kind of just enjoying it and uh just trying to enjoy the positives there so thank thank the fuck out of you guys is the big message of that and i guess i'll touch more on my future in the coming podcasts, in the coming weeks, but let's get right the fuck to it, baby, because we got some fun fights this weekend starting on Friday. The tough finale, starting from the bottom, is one of the more sh- stronger feels of this, um, one of the more stronger feels, hence one of the more stronger plays as um, the first recommended parlay piece is up as I have Tisha Torres, excuse me, over Juliana Lima, Tisha Torres in the neighborhood of a minus 330 favorite and growing, depending where you look, whereas the comeback on the underdog, Juliana Lima, going to be, you know, plus 300 uh, area, uh, depending where you're looking again. Um, yeah, essentially, you know, Juliana Lima, she's, she's, she's tough, man. And she, she, she only has losses to quality girls. She's big for the division. And I think she's, you know, she's made improvements, you know, she's, She's kind of come in slimmer, you know. Uh, <laughs> she was pretty jacked before, to be honest, and she was already pretty big for the division, like I said. But she's coming in slimmer now, and I guess what I will speculate about that in the positive is that she's showing b- better cardio, you know, and and she is showing better technique. But the problem, the the rooting problem is like she still is like, you know, defense hasn't caught up to the offense, first of all. So when she gets touched, she's like one touch away from going, okay, I, I, I got a brawl mode. And against someone with better footwork, you know, forward, backward, and arguably one of the better lateral divi- uh, lateral movers in the division, Tisha Torres, it's going to be problems. And Tisha, you know, she's built on her karate style where she, even though she doesn't go southpaw and kind of work off that, you know, lead front sidekick a la Holly Holm-esque that she does as much anymore. She's gotten better, more than Muay Thai and traditional kickboxing aspects for, you know, leg kicks, timing those, which is impressive considering she's still able to get in and out, um, kind of a testament to her speed and reaction time and just her sense of range. You know, she can change levels, uh, Tisha Torres, that is, you know, she fights really well, uh, inside the guard, good, good positional awareness, scrambles, floats well. Um, and, uh, but you know, Lima's really durable. So I, if you don't, you, you know, I don't blame you for liking the over, but it, it just seems like so much easier to take a, a, uh, and, and for the odds you're getting, you know, too, you know, cl- close enough to the same number where it, in my opinion, it's just worth adding Tisha Torres. If you're looking to do some parlay action, which I don't really feel strong about general MMA, by the way, this is kind of just more, you know, I just try to have the proper sections for for y'all entertainment wise. And hey, I'm 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 a degenerate like you, so I have my plays, whether they're straight plays, 
parlays or props. So I try to make categories for them all, although I, 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 maybe I should do a straight play one. I don't know. Shout out me, at the MM Analyst on Twitter. I'm always open to suggestions, ideas, what you guys would like to see or even wouldn't like to see on the breakdown. So feel free to keep me in tune on that. But I feel good about Tisha Torres here. Uh, which means she's probably going to lose. All right, next pick, or ne- ne- next one, headlining uh, the fight pass portion, I believe. Gray Mated versus Teruto Ishihara. Um, Teruto Ishihara was around the minus 240 range for a minute, but he's blowing up to minus 300 range and growing, as I suspect the props have followed suit. Whereas I am sink- I am a captain with the ship, no matter what state the ship is in, as I'm backing Gray Maynard here. Even an analyst such as myself can put analysts from fanalist to fan to personal Dan Tom likings aside. That being said, um, since Dan Tom's not doing his work for an outlet, he's doing it for me, aforementioned Lee off the top of the show. Uh, I feel like I can get away with these things a bit if I state it. And since I've consistently stated things for extreme couture fighters that I've known and or done scouting work for in the past, this is just inconsistent. You know, if you follow my work, I always state the bias here. So if you're like scratching your head, why is he picking Maynard or Ishihara? Um, the stated bias, that's what it means. That's why it's not technically in the avoid list, but y'all should know if there's a heavy bias there, or something doesn't make sense or something, you know, or things are stated like, come on. Um, that being said, I'll be rooting my heart out from a man, Gray Maynard. Um, sure, you know, sure, you know, dude gave me his old hand wraps and uh, was nice enough to treat the amateur team to, a, you know, like 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 Santa Claus and we, we would give his old sponsored gear and always just a nice guy around the gym and, and, and all these things. But, uh, yeah, I'll be honest, man, I'm coming clean. You know, it, it, the fan pick rarely does come through, but uh, the bias is stated there, so... Uh, all right, next fight, Jessica I versus Aspen Lad. This one's lined pretty correctly. Jessica I has been consistently hovering around a plus 100 dog as she is on a bit of a losing streak versus Aspen Lad, uh, who, you know, don't judge a book by, uh, by a cover with the name and the way she looks. You, you, you expect her to sound Irish as shit, but she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she sounds actually focused as shit. Um, she's, you know, works well off the left hook, throws a good leg kick. Comes in a little too linear sometimes for my liking, which, you know, someone like Jessica I can time with her nice crisp one-two. But Aspen Lad does show, you know, competent takedowns, both in the level-changing sense and from the clinch. Feel like uh, she can work her game enough, if but it will be a competitive fight. So I, 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 I can't even remember if this officially made my stay away, but it should be. All right. Don't think it did. I can't even read my own handwriting. It's it's hilarious. My handwriting is so terrible. Um, Goes and George from MMA Junkie can attest to this. They, <laughs> how do you read? I can't even read my. I can't either. That's the amazing thing. All right. Yeah. I don't know how this ship stays afloat. But anyways. All right. Uh, yeah. I feel it's lying correctly. Lads the pick. No plays. In other words. And I believe the next fight should be CB Dolly versus Ed Herman. Yes, it is. Again, we are in the FS. The second two fights deep in the FS1 portion now. Um, took the dog here, um, Ed Herman. Um, you know, this one's a borderline avoid though too because these guys kind of are inconsistent. They're almost in that you know one fight a year kind of territory. Whereas you know Dalloway, it's been since granted was December, but 2015 since he last fought. Um, it's just all these you know. 
I don't know. I they're both moving up, so you know, I, despite you know getting iced by Krylov in his last fight, I think moving up was good for Ed Herman, especially this stage in his career. So I, I want to leave that open for Dalloway as well. Just the problem is Dalloway hasn't really shown very many improvements, um, especially in the striking and especially in the defense, and that's just always been a been a thing for him. And against a guy who has really heavy, well built in counter triggers like Ed Herman, I think it's going to be a problem. You know, we've seen. The power MMA guys get a little better in, as far as their movement, and I think, ironically enough, Ryan Bader's probably been the best guy from there. But you know, not to be a negative, you know, put a negative or feel a negative narrative on a camp, but that fade power MMA thing, man, it, it's hard. You, know, you look at like the success of guys there, and, and kind of even you know guys like Johnny Case, who I was pretty high on, then he goes there, and, and then just the striking completely, not completely, but just changes notably. And you're, and, you know the performances and some other names, and I don't I I don't know them off the top of my head. I don't want to spend too much time nor nor come off bagging the camp, but yeah, it's it's hard to be real optimistic. There's gonna be a lot of changes in CB's game. Who, if anything, has recently gotten better with his left hook, which is kind of always been his money punch. I should say that that should serve him well, but he's gotten better with his leg kicks. The problem is. Um, Ed Herman's got really good counter triggers off leg kicks. He'll get takedowns, uh, right hands, uh, and, and I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna um, be making CB pay. Uh, I mean, he may be losing rounds until he tags him, but I, but I see I see it being very similar to like the the, the Tim Bosch fight with it, with Ed Herman, which I picked Herman in that one as the dog as well. I believe he was like a plus three fifty dog in that one, but um, but yeah, I, I see that being good for him. You know the. I'm pretty high on Krylov, um, and Krylov was a, a heavier weight guy, a faster guy, a more technical guy, a harder hitting guy than both Herman and Dalloway combined. Not that MMA math in any shape or form really means a whole ton. And then also Herman, pretty durable dude. One of his you know stops was Derek Brunson, who's you know uh, you know Derek Brunson, and. Uh, you know, another one was an injury, and then of course his last one to Krylov. We remember that kick, but not only was it the perfect kick that could have iced him with one shot and would have iced anybody else, he actually got hit with that kick, amongst other shots. But with that kick in particular, he got hit behind the equilibrium that off balance him, and it took him like half a round where it never really looked like he got his balance back again from that point, not midway through. And after that, he took three more just hard, dead on concussive shots not just behind the ear equilibrium but more just the straight to the head concussive three after that then the knockout blow so the fact that ed herman was even around to take that knockout blow was impressive so i don't think it's that condemning does ed herman have a huge ceiling in general or at the stage of his career no not at all believe me i'm not like super high telling you to go bet the dog money which is currently you know around plus three 160 i believe for herman uh, i'm not saying that at all but I do. There is substance to this pick, in other words, and and uh, that's why it is a dog pick that um, I don't believe made it onto the void. But if it did, I you know, I, I don't blame you for avoiding it. But uh, yeah, I did. I did do a small sprinkle personally. I'm not saying you should, but that's my take on that fight. Uh, next fight is on the avoid. I always do avoid on any tough ones. This one's a little bit different because it almost sent me back into watching t the tough fights, but. You know, old Dan Tom hasn't watched since like the heavyweight season, Tough Ten. I really, I just, I never did anything for me. I've never been a reality show person, so mixing something I love like martial arts, uh, it's, it's hard enough. You got me on the uh, keyboard side of the sport as it is. I don't need to go full out and uh, partake in that. Anyways, I'm not trying to project my personal beliefs onto you. I just, I didn't watch Tough, and uh, although my man uh, Jason Bookimer, uh, intern producer. 
Man on the Rise in the Couve, Vancouver, Canada. Um, did some excellent recaps for Junkie Radio, and he's got his own radio show, Overhand Right Radio. I was recently, I was one of his first guests, I believe, uh, Overhand Right Radio. I believe they're on SoundCloud. Go subscribe. Shout out to Jason there. Um, but yeah, I always say avoid these tough fights because it's just the, the circumstances they fall under, uh, the intangibles. You, you, you're limited to research because they have to go almost go dark in a sense, social media wise. You know, uh, hence the contracts. They can't talk about things. There's just so much stuff you don't know until the day of. Yada yeah. It's just there's a lot of intangibles there. But you got Galicchio, who's a veteran in his own right. Um, you know. Bunch of submission victories, no no TKO victories. You know, you, st- strong MMA grappler will cook guys, find his way in a scramble to their back. Usually, as most of his are rear naked choke. Same with James Krause, although he doesn't really cook guys so much. James Krause is more of your jack of all trades. He's kind of strong and aware from all positions. Real good hand fighting. Will, you know, will turtle up, pop out of bad positions, can fight from bad positions. You know. Um, gets himself into deep fights both standing and in grappling exchanges maybe a little too much for the liking but he's usually has you know from leverage athletic good chin um all these things uh and just technically crafty he can kind of just survive in these spots and just kind of flow with the fight and i believe kraus you know should be able to do that here um i don't know about these intangibles of hearing about kraus being injured or not I, again I barely have time to follow up on this shit, folks. And there is a lot of that injury talk, too, heading into these tough things. That's why they're always consistently on my avoid. Uh, lines are pretty far, I believe. So if you wanted to take a shot on the dog here in Galicchio, I don't blame you. But the pick is Kraus. And I'll be pulling the lines up right now as we move to Angela Hill versus Ashley Yoder, who I know Hill is in the neighborhood of minus 300 favorite territory. Um... And let's see what the comeback on Yoder is as I pull things up here. Yoder, the comeback, right around 300, depending where you're looking. And yeah, Kraus, yeah, real high, around the three, minus 300 range. And same with Galicchio, around plus 300, same odds as Yoder Hill, which we're talking about now. Hill, man, she really hit a turnaround. And it was really proof of the pudding where, you know, when she went to Invicta and after the losing streak in the UFC, like, yeah, she was just put out to the prime pasture for what that's worth of a small sample size that is the strawweight division a little too early and her athletic potential training with good people at alliance who alliance man i gotta see their new gym i come i got a little nostalgic at their old one seeing that they changed it up they got this huge new facility now anyways she's improved her game since we've seen her go to invicta came back uh put on a great performance against a girl y'all know i'm high on uh jessica andrage and um yeah look 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 great there so uh i could see why She's a favorite here, but Ashley Yoder, she's, you know, the same argument can be made for her, you know, uh, man, I've uh, I've seen her fight, I've seen Yoder fight for a minute, because, you know, um, I believe she fought Jocelyn Jones live Archer. I think I was in the, maybe in the same corner room, because my man Jake Swinney won the title that night as well, uh, Ashley Evan Smith was on that card, that was Fist of Brawl, I think like in 2012 there, a little tough enough alum there, so, I always got love for Ashley Yoder in that respect, but I can see why she's the dog here, but, you know, again, she, she can make a turnaround too, offer some unique things at Southpaw Stance, she gets she work, works well off her left hand, um, does good in scrambles, does good when she can get the mount into the back, and, you know, even in bad spots, she's really competent, um, and, 
you know, I could see her putting Angela Hill, even an improved Angela Hill, in some trouble in this fight for sure. You know, Justin Keish didn't exactly make it an easier fight, and we saw her getting to better positions more and more as the fight went on. Granted, Justin Keish, although you can argue is more talented on the ground and standing up than Angela Hill, Justin Keish is obviously her wildness has a cost to it, which we, which we've seen, and uh, more importantly, she puts herself in these bad positions where it's Angela Hill. Uh, whatever critiques you may have against her, she doesn't so much. She she's got good footwork. She moves around, etc. Probably you know if you want to play the overs or Angela Hill or decision Angela Hill decision, I I, I don't blame you there. Um, yeah, I mean I think the over minus two forty two and a half. Yeah, I, I could see that. That's actually a reasonable over. Usually those things are are inflated, and you know maybe by the time you hear this, we'll probably reach up to minus three hundred by the time you will, and. uh an Angela Hill decision, boy, it's gonna, it's so long to scroll through all these things now because there's uh, there's there's double the fights out on the sheets right now. So, so pardon me. Mm -mm, dead air is great. Yeah, okay, you can look it up your own. Let's move on to the next fight. Uh, all right, main card. Usually this is where we'd be hitting our breaks, but we are cutting right through it because again we have double the ground to cover. We have Jordan Johnson versus Marcel T Fortuna to round out the second recommended piece of Zepale. And the numbers, I had Jordan Johnson at minus 240. Let's see what he's currently at right now still. Yeah, yeah, still at, at, at the minus at minus 240. Marcel Fortuna right around plus 200, depending where you're looking. Uh, Fortuna makes me scared to bet against because of the Hamilton, although I didn't actually like bet Hamilton, so I didn't like... I'm not speaking out of like a better PTSD, which I'm again, I'm not, I'm not above. I definitely have my own versions of that. Uh, anybody with a last name Kamosi gives me that, which we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to that later. Um, but, um, but yeah, man, uh, I, 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 I think this is a good match for Jordan Johnson here. You know, look at Marcel Fortuna with the improvements in the stand up aside. Jordan Johnson's no slouch, you know, um, even though he's slow and kind of lumbering looking and plotting, you could make those crit crit critiques. He doesn't waste any time, he knows when to shoot. He keeps his hands up on when he when he's ready to plant and counter. He knows he's going to, so he has his the appropriate guard up in response to doing so. And doesn't hang out even when he does elect to swing in return. So and, and as far as the ground goes, I mean this isn't just a division one wrestler. This is a guy who's done you know, I, I believe IBJJF, uh, Nogi, and you look at the way he grapples, rides and floats for MMA, his hand fighting awareness. I really like it a lot. Uh, I you know I don't think I don't think you know he's going to be in too much trouble. Whereas Marcel Fortuna, I believe, is the half Gracie lineage, but yeah, more still more of a gi guy and even more of a top guy at that, you know. And you even look against you know not as accoladed guys. Fortuna, you know, has fought, and you see guys with a kind of decent MMA grappling able to survive like mount positions and really bad spots multiple times. So, uh, not that I see him out scrambling or taking down Jordan Johnson, but you know. God forbid he gets to some kind of bad spot. I don't think it's an end of the world uh, with the positional awareness that Jordan Johnson has demonstrated thus far, or at least in the footage that was available on him. Uh, so I really like Jordan Johnson. I also has that attitude, kind of that Colby Covington fucking wrestler thug attitude. I don't give a fuck, and I, I really appreciate that. You need that edge to do well. Um, so I think Johnson does it, but Fortuna, again, is a tough guy. He doesn't he's cut or behind or or he tires which he has shown to do that's another thing is kind of worth looking for is he going to tire when he tries to out grapple a strong grappler no matter how he does right um 
but he's still game. So that's why uh, I have a prop of Jordan Johnson by decision, plus 121. The only plus money prop that I played on what is a really chalky, low card, uh, tried to stay, at least for me, as conservative as possible while still, you know, presenting you with some entertainment slash personal plays and put a half unit on that, as well as, by the way, put a half unit on Tisa Torres' decision. Unfortunately, I didn't get a nice number on that. It was minus 190, but that one I even feel stronger about as far as decision goes. And considering the inflation of the Tisha Torres line, if you feel strong on Tisha Torres, could be an angle to play um, if you're into the risky prop business, which is just as stupid as parlays in MMA. But hey, you're asking, I'm giving. That's it. All right. Um, Let's go to the next fight there. It's going to be Brad Tavares versus Elias Theodoru. Uh, Brad Tavares creeping even money, depending on what house, like on Bovada, for example, still riding his dog, but probably going to creep to even money by the time you hear this. Brad Tavares, Elias Theodoru, again, just a hedge, minus 120 favorite, depending on when you're looking. Man, I definitely, you know, Brad could come out flat, you know, if, you know or something, or come out in a bad night and, and, and uh, you know, get out pointed, but I really feel good about Brad here when he was a dog. I was talking, you know, to some people about it and uh yeah, and uh apparently all's good from the camp and um all things are a go. You know uh I try not to talk or peer into a game plan or anything like that, but let's just say as long as Brad shows up uh, should be fine, and I think he does. You know, I mean, if you look at the last performance, he did really well. Don't let the split decision by you know Chao Magalhaes fool you. Brad clearly had that fight won, but it was scary in the beginning because not just because Chao Magalhaes is strongest first round, but you know, it was almost worried like kind of Brad would, like slapping hands with him afterwards. Like, hey, good job, man, and you know, but then walk away kind of be disappointed, you know, visually disappointed with himself as he was walking to the stool. You know, like, oh crap, he's it was a long layoff. It was, just, you know, he was in that elevator incident that you know. Uh, CB Dalloway apparently it was enough to take him out, but Brad Tavares was on that same elevator and he fought. And apparently he had a little bit of an injury that night too and still looked good. Um, you know, was held against the fence a little bit, but that was Chow Magalesh, you know, a, a jacked Magalesh, by the way. That's his specialty. I don't see Elias Theodoro being able to do the same. And again, even though Brad looked a little shaky, as he probably should, was coming off a layoff in that first round against Magalesh. He was able to pull it back together, listen to his corner's advice, you know, plot, uh, listen to Sugar Ray Cepho, looking to see if he if he plans to throw the uppercut, if, if he goes to fade back, throw the kick. And he was consistently doing that on the engagements. And that's how he was turning the tide and would turn the tide in that fight. Uh, so I think Brad gets it done here. I think his leg kicks are going to be a huge key, though. Um, and I think his, you know, his wrestling's underrated. You know, he was. Let's not forget, uh, Yoel Romero's most strongest wrestling heavy performance ever was against Brad Tavares. You know, and granted, maybe that was because he got almost iced by Derek Brunson and almost lost to Derek Brunson. Uh, the fight before that, but we would see Romero kind of emphasize a heavy. Uh, takedown game plan, and I would like to think he respected, he seemed to uh, respect Brad Tavares a lot, and I imagine that's why it, uh, it might have spoke a bit there through his performance and game plan. Uh, either way, regardless of Romero's intentions or motives there, which we'll touch on when we get to his fight, um, I think Tavares is very underrated there and can surprise a lot. Again, he was winning the fight until Tim Bosch until he got 
you know, hit by Tim Bosch, and then, you know, you got stopped by Robert Whitaker, and you can be like, oh, chin issues or this or that. Like, no, Brad's a durable Hawaiian. I really don't think he's a chin issues in retrospect. Regardless, Brad did the right thing. He took a lot of time off, revamped his health, strength and conditioning. We're seeing him coming in more jacked, but also at more lighter weight, so his cuts are much easier. Apparently, he had one of the easiest cuts ever. The weigh-ins just happened, by the way, so I can kind of say these uh, these things that have just been going down this Thursday, this Thursday morning. But yeah, uh, see him doing well there. So good luck to those that are high on uh, Tavares. I know my man, best fight picks did max play on that. It's a dog, balls, my man. So, um, but you know, uh, hope he comes through for for many reasons there. Uh, no hate on Theodoro, just he is. Next one is on the fights to avoid list: Jared Cannonier versus late replacement Nick Rorick. Uh, reason is because, man. Um, I was looking at Nick Rourke's footage, and he, he came in looking in shape, too. Much more in shape than any of the footage, or the heavyweight footage you'll find floating around. He's a big dude. Uh, I believe he used to, he used to, used to wrestle. Uh, he, did, he did wrestle, but uh, um, no, I was, I was thinking maybe football, too. That's another, that's another player coming down. The, too many fights to remember, folks. But yeah, he, he wrestled, but was a heavyweight, cut some weight, and um, now he's training with guys like Dominic Reyes, who you all know I'm high on, and you should be high on, too, that you saw that. So he'll be getting the striker kind of switch dance southpaw looks that Cannoneer will provide on a regular basis because he's one of that he's one of that guy's training partners, and he's also one of Curtis Blade's training partners. That's right, he's been training now around the last year, I believe, or so, um, with the Elevation Fight Team. By the way, shout out to James Lynch again uh, on site. Hopefully, I'll be seeing later tonight. But go to his, subscribe to his YouTube channel. He does you know these interviews with all these guys that you might not know about and, and kind of up to date stuff on him. And I really like what this guy was saying. And even though stand up shaky and Cannoneer should be able to take advantage of that, hence Cannoneer's the pick. Also with the late notice and stuff, this guy trains with really good people. Uh, it sounds like he was you know he didn't have a fight too long ago. It seems like he was waiting for a call. Looked good on the scales. Uh, and can wrestle his ass off and Cannoneer, that's his weakness. You know, that's why I was so high on to share, specifically by trying to pick share by submission, which never came to some fruition because, uh, you know, quote unquote, his shoulder, which would make sense considering the guy just does head and arm chokes and stuff related to the shoulder. So no submission there. But you saw what I was talking about as far as Cannoneer, not just susceptible to the takedown, but elects to retain guard and not stand. Um, against a guy who's coming in a short notice, just looking to get a win, and that's his best route. Boy, just asking for an upset. I, I that's why I'm, I'm avoiding this. I, I may be uh, sprinkling a little bit on the dog here, uh, but honestly, uh, if you're looking to just take that angle of last minute replacement, play Cannonier hard. I would caution that. That's why it is on my avoid list. Next fight, almost made the avoid list. You know, because I almost wanted just a reason to fade Mark D. Casey who's uh, currently sitting around the minus 250 mark. Andrew Carr close, been consistently looking to sit around the plus 220 dog mark. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm still not completely sold or as high on, on DAKC as, as, as many. But, man, he's, he, he, he's got stuff there. He's doing the right things. The right people are saying things. He's training at the right places, American top team. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll have Rob Whiteford in his corner. Uh Shout out to Rob Whitefur. That guy's a that guy's a savage. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, Drakkar Close, who uh, <laughs> I believe my girlfriend said looked like if you went to a build a bear workshop and tried to make an MMA fighter out of one. <laughs> she, she compared Drakkar Close too, which is great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Close. Um, you know. He fits the prototype. Uh, you don't talk about camp stereotypes. And I, and I, I, I give love to this camp. I, I try to defend them. But goddamn, 
they must hate them some you know the matchmakers must hate them some uh, speaking of Arizona camps that get hate that get hate they must hate them some uh what's up god now it's escaping me the MMA lab you know <laughs> you know cuz y'all get you get these guys put again and hey you know close is a lot as actually not not to like about a lot to like about close he's not like some typical jobber dude or anything he's undefeated he's a wrestling base you know there's athletic potential there too but you know on the surface yeah he fits that typical like like Gucchmacher or freaking Barbarina who I love but that that just dad bod I'm going to just go out there and be the underdog <laughs> kind of guy and uh, that feels like the spot here, but I I, I do say um, if DKC can't get things done on the feet, because close is pretty hittable. Um, his he'll kind of just kind of slide out of the way with punches, and he's so confident and comes back, and he does show a really good chin. Um, that helps, but you don't want to be getting hit by a guy like DKC and taste. You know, you want to test his athletic potential, and you want to test his limits, but not in that way, because then you just might be adding to the highlight reel, you know. So if he does get past that, I think Jakar Close can put some real. He offers some real credible threats on the mat. But the reason why I guess I kind of my 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 hopes tempered is because in many fights going back to even recent, and granted the most recent one was against Powell, whose strength was on the floor. So why take a guy down when that's his only chance? I get that. But in other words, what I'm trying to say is that there were many points in many of his fights for many different reasons against many opponents. His corner, who he's been working with, MMA Lab, and, and the cornering there is strong. Release, regardless of what you think about the camp or the results they get, the cornering there is strong. And multiple times they call for takedowns, and multiple times Close doesn't do it. And that kind of worries me, you know, because he's going to be need to. He's really, you know, he's he's been developing his stand up and looking good, but he really needs going to need to lean on that wrestling uh, here. And don't get me wrong, D. Casey was actually originally a grappler. He feels strongest in his grappling, but and I'm sure it's only getting better training at American Top Team. But yeah, I, I do say still, nevertheless, that that's what Close is going to need here to do here to win. Um, I'm honest, this is probably another one I'm avoiding. I may put like. A, a, a dollar on the dog for fun or something. Dollar bet, dollar bet. But I'm kind of avoiding, even though it's not officially on my avoid list. Uh, good luck. Um, not a lot of angles I like as far as overs goes. Decision doesn't go, kind of a thing. So I stayed away. Co-main event is the comeback time. Jesse Taylor as a uh, minus one ninety favorite, plus one sixty five dog. Diego Lima. Uh, Taylor, you know what you're gonna get. Kind of same fighter as he was since the first time, but just been out there racking up that regional experience. And somehow, even though some scares throughout his fights, of course, his chin holding up for the most part. Just that durable guy that's going to get on top, make life miserable. Uh, although Diego Lima's chin kind of seemed to be his kryptonite here uh, in a recent stretch and still kind of remains to be seen. Been in some close fights since on the house. Again, I didn't, I didn't watch it. Just going off of recaps, not a lot of credit. Or not a lot of footage that I was able to go back and find too, unfortunately, which is another reason why these are on my avoid list and why they should just generally be on your avoid list. A lot of intangibles at play. Um, I got love for the Lima brothers, man. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Diego can do it. I don't blame you for taking a shot. But uh, he's certainly going to have his chance. Um, his chance here. All right, uh, main event time. This one I actually did a write-up on. That's right. Justin Gaethje, the bull in the China shop, enters the UFC's lightweight stable. So I am very excited for that. Um, he is uh, 
about a one, well, like one, 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 one forty. You grew up going from up from one thirty. Yeah, yeah, one forty now. Okay, I'm looking at different houses. Sorry, looks like to be a growing dog because Michael Johnson appears to be a growing favorite now at minus one sixty in in growing. Um, yeah, I like Johnson here, man. I'll be rooting for Gaethje. I love his style, man. The brawling, the dirty boxing, the uppercuts, the hard leg kicks. But against the southpaw, who he has not had very much, very much, if any, experience against in his career, uh, won't be providing that. And a southpaw with some of the best footwork in the division, the pivots, the angles Michael Johnson takes. Now he's 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 not just you know using his lead foot, excuse me, lead foot pivots, but he's got his check right hook for cover fire which i see being the best punch to serve him against a defensively irresponsible brawler who's going to be coming in on him that is justin gaethje uh so uh i see that being there for him um you know if, if gaethje d- does decide to change it up you know we'll see guys do that what was that one guy that i don't know Oliveira or some i don't know some weird thing i forget but he was a flyweight um, I forget, but he had this crazy style, and that's what people were kind of looking forward to. I believe it was in the Singapore card. And then he comes in with his hands up, actually, <laughs> counter-punching. And it's like, we've seen that before. Guys, like, they know when they get to the big show, and then they decide to turn it up, you know? And uh, Gaethje could do it here, but he he swears before, he swears during, and he swears strong that he is the same fighter, is going to stay the same fighter, and will always... Stayed the same fighter. Damn, be gone, CTE. Oh, boy, to have that kind of outlook. I, God bless you, Justin Gaethje, but someone who's sustained uh, more concussions than he's needed. Um, I wish you the best, man. That's all I'm going to say. No need to get this downtrodden. But, yeah, um, he can make the fight interesting. And if he can pull out the win, um, good on him, which is why, you know, this fight doesn't go the distance. Uh I believe around the minus 300 range out of, you know, out of straight up play. But, you know, for parlay fodder, that's not, it's not a bad one. Oh, I did take Michael Johnson inside the distance at minus 121 for half a unit. I just, I see it. I see it. What my eyes see, I cannot deny. And on that beat, we're going to take a break and come back to break down UFC 13 full card right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Second Neck Podcast for the UFC 213 portion of the breakdown. And as usual, we're going to go from bottom to top, uh, starting in the Fight Pass portion. One of the late, one of the late editions, like within the week editions, hence why it's on the fights to avoid. But did do me some research and have some opinions in case y'all interested. Yes, Dan, we've been listening to this. You're fucking crazy as this long. Get to the point. All right, all right. Trevin Giles is, comes in as the favorite here against. Um, James, I'm sure it's Baknovic or Boshnovic. I don't know, but I, let's just call him Bob Baknovic. Hey, Bob Baknovic there. All right. Yeah. That makes it easier. That's how I associate the name. Um, yeah. So we got Trevin Giles versus, uh, J- versus we'll call him Bob, Bob Baknovic. Hey, Bob Bear. 
You, you, your kid's fighting here, Bad Baknovic. Well, Bad Baknovic's kid fighting here. Oh, yeah. Sorry, he's from uh, that region of the United States, so it just it just jumps at me. But, uh, man, Baknovic's actually live here. Um, I officially picked Giles. You know, he's like kind of like the look and the feel of kind of an early Rashad Evans, still trying to put put it put, uh, you know put his striking together really relying off of speed and reaction time in which he has a edge on most of his opponents as he should have here but both these guys are are, are athletes i mean Baknovic Bab Baknovic is the more athletic <laughs> of the two not more athletic more longer i should say of the two longer frame but he's not like some lanky dude or some like you know sludgeon kind of um Sludgeon plodding dude, but he, he he actually moves pretty smoothly as far as you know, looking at his pad work and the brief instances in recent fights where he was striking. But he clearly looks to make his money on the ground as that's what he came in doing jujitsu through, you know, Rothwell MMA. He seems to be one of Rothwell's personal guys. Um so, you know, Trevin Giles, he's both on the feet and standing has kinda of gotten him himself into trouble, but again, just a good scrambler when he needs to be and kind of relies on that athleticism when he needs to and it's gotten him out of there because he's almost lost a lot of fights he's been dropped and almost stunned almost finished in his last fight against uh was it uh boy i hope i'm not mixing up names there uh no no let me get that name up there yeah as i pull up dead air there that's, that's great there we go <laughs> Ryan Span, there it is. I believe it was Ryan Span. Either way, there were there were points where he was kind of almost giving away the fight till he's not, and uh, you almost get the sense when you watch Trevin fight that the bottom's going to drop out, that he's he's going to have to pay his taxes. Um, but with those advantages, I, I see here as far as the speed and uh, as far as the wrestling goes, both defensive and offensive. I feel like he should be able to control terms, but if he gets put in a bad spot, I would not be surprised to see Baknovic take advantage. So if you're looking for fun flyers to keep that fight interesting, keep your money away from the favorite, despite that being my pick. You know, um, I, I honestly don't blame blame you for, pay, for, for, for sprinkling on Baknovic here, if, if you are, but uh, on my avoid list. I'm, I'm avoiding the thing, to be honest. Personal, all in all, uh, washing my hands of it. Next fight... Um, Tarion Ware, who's, who's been a name that's been around for sure, versus, uh, oh boy there, oh boy Dan, you're losing yourself, versus uh, Stammen, who looks like um, Uriah Faber, and uh, can't think of the gentleman's name, had a kid, but anyways, yeah, yeah, like, like an action figure with, a, with his uh, baby face and muscles, but the dude moves really well. Uh, as a wrestling and kickboxing background, or as a, a boxing background, but throws kicks like he's been in traditional martial arts, and learning that he mainly trains, although he's made you know treks to ATT and other high-level camps, mainly trains actually uh, out of Michigan, Detroit uh, top team there with Darren Crookshank, which could explain why his kicks actually look really good. But he's 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 got Golden Gloves experience, which I like, and he's got a lot of amateur experience, like Terry Unwear. I like guys with a lot of amateur experience. I don't think the line should be wide, though. This should be a really competitive fight. Uh, again, I'm kind of more siding with athleticism and wrestling advantage to have the day here, just like with the last matchup, hence why I'm siding with the favorite at a minus 275, Cody Stammen. But, but in no way am I playing him in anything, um, as Tarion Ware is very live. I mean, Tarion Ware, uh, don't let his record fool you, which uh, you know I don't have in front of me, but he, he fights like he is more... 
he fights like he's a veteran. Like his record doesn't reflect his fighting style. Whether he's slipping and returning, which I believe against Jared Papazian that was his last fight, or yeah, I want to say, but um, you know, he you you really just see where where he's kind of come from when you watch his earlier stuff and to where he's gone now. And it's only a short amount of time. And it feels like I'm watching a veteran at times. Um, you know, it's good positional awareness. You know, it, it takes him a couple beats. You see the thought process, but it's the correct thought process. If, if there's no attack off his back, you see him looking for the cage, scooting to it, getting up, getting back his underhooks, turning, turning the guy back around. Like he's doing all the right things. And, and he's one of those guys where like you could put him in a bad spot in the mat and say, go. And he might not win every, every junction, but he's going to be comfortable every time. He just seems like one of those guys. So Again, if you're going to sprinkle on the dog here, I really don't blame you, despite me picking the favorite. Hence, fights to avoid. All right, uh, headlining the fight pass portion of the card, Rob Font versus Douglas De Silva, De Andrade, De Hard to Find, De Names, because of De So Many Names. And Rob Font is <laughs> Rob Font is the uh, uh, first. Uh, we had two in the last one. We have two on this one. And the first... I don't want to say leg of it because I don't put it out as, as a parlay in general, but just two guys who are within price range that it's playable. You know, they're not fucking like minus 800 and shit. And uh, guys that I honestly just feel good about, which is few and far between. And but these guys are, 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 are the best, if you had to ask me. So hence, they are on that list. And I actually feel the best about anybody on this card is uh, Rob Font. Um, I really like his style, even though DeAndrade, you know, was looked at as somewhat of a prospect, even coming off the jungle fight scene, which is, you know, kind of can be tricky with the inflated records and your competition you're facing. And again, you know, lost, but lost a guy like, you know, to Hugoff, who's, I respect a lot and, you know, not a bad loss to have, but I believe, although it's not as flamboyant of movement, the movement gets in trouble. And again, not as flamboyant of movement, excuse me, does Font have, but more efficient movement. And he had that weird showing against John Lineker, but in hindsight, you know, that was his first big fight going in against, you know, 198, that stadium, being the bad guy. John Lineker being who he is and kind of on that little, you know, right in, right in the middle of that streak that Lineker was on. Understandable. You know, a good litmus test. And he has that, and just listening to those interviews just really, really give me a different, uh, by the way, shout out to my man, Best Fight Picks for interviews. I always give him shout outs for his picks, but man does some good interviews. And, and I really liked, you know, when he was talking um, on Half the Battle, that show, and uh, he was just kind of talking about, uh, remind me of Randy Couture, because, uh, you know, me and Randy Couture, the same grappling coach, and Neil's also a real big guy in mentality and would do, like, mental drills. I'm sure he does them with the Black Zillions, but would do it with uh, guys over at Alliance, would see him run them through it. And a lot of them was based off stuff that Randy Couture would do or he would do with Randy. And Randy, if you notice, won't use the words, no, can't. You know, he just doesn't use them in his vocabulary ever. Much less if you go watch the pre any interviews, when you, if you're doing research on that, or when his pre-fight interviews, never use those words because just, they weren't even an option. And he'd always refer, if you listen to Randy Couture interviews, he'd always refer to things like, this is a really good challenge. Like, it's Brock fucking Lesnar. He's going to smash you, Randy. You're old. Yeah, it's a good challenge. You know, like he, he never he never gave it an inch, and, and that's why he was able to upset, uh, you know, uh, the on paper odds more often than not. And Rob Font at least has that mentality. I don't know how his career is going to shape up. Of course, I'm not saying that. I don't know the guy's ceiling even yet, but I, we've seen enough Rob Font to know, or at least I have, to feel confident that he can 
do really well in this matchup because he looks at things like a challenge. You know, another short, stocky Muay Thai guy, and the way he addresses it as a challenge just really rang true with me. I like the way this guy thinks. I like the way he approaches it. Um, and then he was able to bounce back. Granted, it was against a 125er, Matt Schnell. Uh, respect to that guy who, who took it short notice. But you could see, even when Rob Font was forcing the issue of uppercuts and knees that weren't necessarily there, he still was able to funnel his opposition. And Douglas De Silva D'Andrage tends to kind of swoop his head down and, and really kind of dip dip low. And his fighter, fighters previously haven't been able to pick up on it, so to speak, uh, with regularity. But a guy like Font's going to pick up on it real fast. And his right hand, you know, fading away is when, when, when D'Andrade tries to fade away from exchanges. Because D'Andrade doesn't rely on a lot of defense. Like, he'll do his typical shell, which, again, also feeds into the set uppercut, the shot to look out for here. But, he, you know, D'Andrade relies more on his footwork, kind of fleet of foot to, to fade in and out. And I think um, Font can catch him on the way out, as Font catches a lot of guys on the way out with his jab hook, jab, jab. He's feeding guys in. He's placing him to where he wants his end strike to be. There's a lot of sophistication to what Font is doing. If you know what to look for, and the puzzle pieces align here. Yes, DeAndrade is dangerous uh, and showing he can get a third-round finish in Mexico, which was pretty crazy against a guy like you know Brionis. But Brionis, as tough as Brionis is, uh, Brionis is very hittable. That's a very hittable guy. You know what I'm saying? And you know Brionis, I believe, even has had his moments too. Anyways. He is the recommended parlay piece to go along with the next one, which is Bilal Muhammad, as I have him beating Jordan Mean, and the odds makers have it at minus 140 for Bilal, plus 120 for Mean. Um... Yeah, I believe that is correct. That's what I played it at. I played this one straight up. He's in my parlays. And also, uh, by decision, plus 215, some decent dog money for a fight that, you know, I think we'll, we'll go over. This is one of the more tempting overs. I didn't. I, I also played it as well, even though it's not officially listed because it was a one and a half over in the near 200 range. And uh, I see both of these guys' durability even if it's a I'm, first of all, I'm expecting it to be a tentative first round, given both guys' style, where they're at, what's at stake, and it's different things on both sides. But just given where those things line up, I forecast a tentative one. But even if one guy is having his way with the other, um, both guys maybe not mean he will look for the doors, which is another reason why I'm kind of picking against them. But at least in the early exchanges, he will he won't wilt immediately, even if, even in his more poor more suspect performances he is good for a couple of exchanges but again Bilal is more of a slow burn so I don't expect that even in a good Bilal performance um you know and and, and the thing to look out for obviously is the left hook we saw Luke throw the same kind of check left hook that means makes or mean makes his money on and that's another reason why I love Jordan Mean. you know he varies the left hook especially when he goes to the liver oh it's so beautiful he'll shift up to a southpaw will fade away and do like a fadeaway liver shot I love it all of those things are certainly live here, which does kind of worry me when I look at those puzzle pieces. But also, when you look at Mean, I mean, I, I you know, I, people are like, well, why did you pick a Meek, a Meal Meek over Jordan Mean, especially at UFC debutant? And that kind of explained, you know, the attitude and tangible of Meek. More importantly, on the style side, on the on paper side, it was Meek was a pressure fighter. I mean, you go look at Jordan Mean, it's been traditionally pressure fighters that have been giving him trouble for most of his career, um, guys who can mix in leg kicks with their pressure, 
who are strong and competent in the clinch, if not can wrestle and get appropriate takedowns. And below, Muhammad consistently mixes and kicks, consistently pressures, even when he's getting dropped, taking a short notice because he's been starving his brain and body on Ramadan against Alan Joban, he still comes forward. So, again, anything can happen. I could be wrong here, but you want to look at guys as far as a stylistic matchup that makes sense and or a guy within play and or, more importantly, a guy that will fight for your money, as they say. Bilal Muhammad is one of the standouts on there. That's why he made the cut, um, and that's why I also play the prop of by decision because, um, again, mean, mean physically durable and Muhammad not devastating one-shot knockout power, not a liver-shot-hungry guy um, to, to where I see like a body-shot finish, which was kind of weird and freakish in the first place, the, the angle that Tiago Alves caught me at. Nor do I see a submission because... Um, not so much Muhammad's thing, although Muhammad, you know, got the late finish in the third round. Yeah, you could do that, sure enough. But I'll just put it this way: if he hits, as long as he wins, it's good because uh, even if the prop fails, that's fine. It's only a half unit play. It's or no, that one's actually only a quarter unit. Yes, I mean I don't even really care if that hits so much. Um, that's it's only it's only a quarter unit, but just everything kind of lines up there, so I couldn't help myself. So that. that that's why it is what that is. And the next fight on the docket, we go to, we're already in the FS1. Second fight on the FS1, uh, Santos versus Mir, Mirshart. This one is, yes, the third fight on the avoid list now. Um, not because I don't have confidence in my pick. I, I played Mirshart, and I actually played him by sub, uh, personally, for what that's worth. But, um, you know... Santos has proven me wrong before. He's kind of a show up or blow up kind of guy, you know, and, and blow up in the bad way. Um, and in how it's been, it's been traditionally guys who can create a scramble and and submit them. I mean, I, I could see a logical point of view being like, okay, because I looked at it like, well, I want to see Mearshart's wrestling. And it's hard to judge because you don't have a lot of relevant looks at it. Um, and he doesn't emphasize it as, as much, uh, that much because he's actually – Pretty decent kickboxing. Don't let a, again. Don't judge a book by its cover. But um, he gets most of it in the scramble. So you can look at that in a bad way. But at the same time, when you look at a lot of Santos's laws, like the guillotine or um, you know Eric Spicely, these are scrambles that he initiated because of Santos's kind of questionable IQ. He's willing to kind of he has this kind of instant kill kill switch. I think inside of him where he'll just jump on guys even if they're not necessarily hurt. Like you saw with the Spicely, where he kind of followed him to the ground and started those, started started the end there in, in that sense, and um, and you have a guy in Mearshart who's a lot more capable than not just Spicely, but a lot of guys that he's fought on the feet. I think he's very underrated there. He's got a good good chin, and I think can make it a really hard fight for Santos. And it's just going to need one of those scrambling opportunities. And he's a an amazing improver. Uh, it's not a game over by any means, but I just I really do think he will just need kind of one to at least very least sway the momentum or steal the round, put it that way. So uh, Mearshart, I, I definitely took him here as 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 the dog. I th I'm I'm pretty sure he's still the dog, as I think people are. People love themselves some Santos, um, and I can't I, I can't blame them uh, loving them some Maheta. But yeah, no Santos still the favorite. Mearshart still on that plus one twenty. Range Santos right on that one at minus one forty range. Next one almost made the list, but one it was too overpriced, and three there's a Kamozi involved, and that always scares me. Whether you're betting for them or in this case betting against them, because I have Chad Laprice, who's in the minus was in the minus six hundred, now it's dropped in the minus five hundred range to the comeback on a plus four hundred range. 
uh, uh, Brian Camozzi, who is the better of the Camozzi's, both on the ground and standing up, but also just uh, the, the wrestling, not really a presence there. Uh, again, even though his guard craft seems better, Brian Camozzi's than Chris. And even his, even his stand-up to a certain extent. Orthodox striker, not a southpaw one like Chris. He has some really good triggers. His left hook's going to be something to look out for. Checking you know, him on uh, LaPrice on the way in and way out. And he's got really good leg kicks. And you, you know you saw Ross, Ross Pearson have some really good effect with his leg kicks on LaPrice. But at the same time, did he really have the effect on it? Because A, Pearson is underrated. B, Pearson is underrated kicker. Good leg kicks, particularly. Uh, in this last chapter of his career. That's like the, probably the only thing that's improved in his game, to be honest, but still got to give him credit there. And Laprise, though, taking those kicks didn't really affect his movement. He was still fighting hard in a fight that me and many, I believe, have made decisions. Most people had scored for, again, no robbery. It was a close fight, but again, most people had scored for Laprise. Um, so, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if, how sharp Kamozi's triggers are going to be, and if anybody's going to be more susceptible and culpable in these little little exchanges, it, it is going to be Brian Kamozi, who you know six two is a, even at welterweight, you know kind of get that kind of uh, his head's kind of just kind of tall and kind of just out there to be hit, and he kind of leaves it out there to be hit, doesn't move it too much, just through that very upright kind of just that George Root zombie like you know I'm there to be hit, my head's there to be hit kind of feel when you watch uh, Brian, or at least when I watch Brian Kamozi strike. So I just stayed the F away from that fight. I even stayed away from the over. The over should hit, but um, I could see LaPrice hitting a counter-strike and finishing him inside the final bell, too. So I stayed away. Uh, next fight. This one. Alexi Olnick versus Travis Brown. Travis Brown, minus 220 favorite. And Alexi Olnick, plus 180 range as a dog. All right now I'm looking up to see... I didn't do any fights uh, plays on this one. I think Travis Brown should be able to come through here. Alexi Olnick doesn't have too much. He kind of wades forward, does put hands up in defense, but will throw a right hand a left and kind of just push guys to the fence. Very bread and butter. Does the same thing for the most part, but uh, leaning forward to get him into trouble here against Travis Brown who, you know, has great knees and, of course, his, his patent front kick. Um, so I see Travis and Travis Brown actually throws a good uppercut, too, or dropped and rocked Brennan Schaub with it. I see all those things being live standing, and even in a ground exchange, I think people underrate Travis Brown. And I thought Travis Brown was going to beat... Um, I mean, I wasn't, like, strong thinking of it, but he was my pick to beat uh, Derek Lewis um, because of just his ground IQ, which I think is underrated. He works with really good guys who I've worked with before from not just obviously my coach, Neil Melanson, but Ricky Lindell, who's an awesome coach uh, for grappling and wrestling there at least. And, you know, and he's been working with him for a minute. And they even had Josh Barnett in camp, you know, this, which is the kind of guys you want. You want more catch wrestling uh, base type of submission artist to work with because that's, more the runoff there as far as what you're getting in those Russian or Eastern European because it's mainly judo, sambo. Sambo is based off judo and catch wrestling. It's kind of like a uh, a retarded step cousin of that. Not a retarded step cousin is sambo. You know, sambo is awesome. I'm not trying to disrespect it, but you know what I mean. It's, it's like it's like they're related. Uh, and yes, Dan Tom will once again use the word retarded in the podcast, even though he swears he won't every episode. I'm sure he's probably gonna 
reference Fight Night 213 before we get to the Yano. I just did. And in all that time of killing, I still could not find the Travis Brown. And, uh, oh, that's actually coming up right here. And Alexi Olnick does not go the distance. I didn't play it, but this will be one of those fights you want to look to see. Yeah, minus 610 is way the fuck up there. Why the hell? That, that ain't in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Uh, but the main card is in the neighborhood because we got Anthony Pettis versus Jim Miller. A proper... Proper fucking lightweight fight to kick us off there. As uh, Anthony Pettis, the deserved favorite here. Don't get me wrong. He is the deserved favorite. But I got my man Jim Miller. Oh, damn, you're a Jim Miller fan. You submitted on the last podcast. That's why. No. No, no. I, I picked against Jim Miller before. I picked against him. I picked Diego Sanchez against him. I picked uh, picked Dustin Poirier against him. Um I've been pretty good about picking Jim Miller fights wrong or, or, or whether I'm going against him or going for him lately. So, you know, it's just that South Paul Reed, I think a lot of people have trouble with, obviously. And then more importantly, the narrative that just pollutes us all, me included. But I always harp on it here. Damn, damn the man and damn the empire. Sorry, save the empire. Damn the man and damn the narrative. There we go. And, um, and yeah, that narrative, is, I think, is a bit overblown. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Jim Miller is clearly on his way out. I'm not saying he's not. But what I am saying is it's overblown, and I think he's a bit undersold in general and in more specific areas like the ground, which, by the way, someone pointed out, was plus 1,200 for a submission prop for Jim Miller, a guy who is on paper edges on the ground. Oh, well, Anthony Pettis is good. I'm like, okay, he's good. I'm not saying he's not. And he really, Anthony Pettis, by the way, really fucking impressed me. That Charles Oliveira fight because it was late. He he survived bad spots. Had some really good scrambling IQ against Charles Oliveira. But getting Charles Oliveira kind of you know is real questionable in his performances too. And, and Charles Oliveira looked great, even though he lost in that fight. He showed a lot of heart. Where in other things he would have typically looked for the door. But it, the point is, Anthony Bettis's best sample size in a year is just that fight, and it's a fight against a really inconsistent guy. So it's. How much can you really put into it? You know, I'm not trying to take anything away. Again, I, I brought it up to give him credit in the first place. But that doesn't change the fact that Anthony Pettis' last three submission wins were all against guys that he hurt first with strikes people. They were all against strikes he hurt first. So don't get me wrong, I could see the guillotine there. And again, he could hurt Jim Miller. Uh, hit him with, to the body, right? We saw Cerrone and even Tiago Alves, a fight where Jim Miller won, still got hurt to the body, even though he hit it pretty well. You could tell the body kicks hurt him. So I'm sure Anthony Pettis is on to that. He should be the favorite. He's going to look for his devastating high kick setups and body kicks that we've seen be successful on Miller before. But the problem is what if they don't come? Because they haven't been coming for a while. You know, the game, the book is out on Anthony Pettis and he's failed to adjust. And we've even seen him do the drastic, I'm going to change, change camps and, and, and not just change camps, uh, embrace camps, go to super camps. And we didn't see that great of results. And now he's back to kind of just doing his thing, back at 155. And good for him. I think it should be the division in which he rides out his career. But... Even if you're backing Anthony Pettis, even if you agree that he should be the favorite, as I agree he should be the favorite, you can't tell me you're confident that he it can change gears when necessary because that is what he has failed to show throughout his career. Minus the five-round initial war with Benson Henderson back in the WEC. I mean, and even that's not really a relevant sample size, right? So that's the problem here. And Jim Miller, even though, you know, We've seen him, it's burned in my head too, sell out on leg lockets, attempts, and this and that. He's only done that against more physical slash superior wrestlers slash superior grapplers, guys that have to have 
at least two, if not all three of those check boxes on him. Then we've seen Jim Miller in that. And that's not even a talk about the Lyme disease, which again can sound like an excuse. But when you look at his performances, it's really not. It actually goes exactly in line. And with Jim Miller being one of the most stand-up savages in the sport, I doubt there are many people, even his detractors, that are going to call him a liar. So whether or not you think he can win, that's fine. Again, he should be the dog. I'm not not trying to argue or sway your opinion in that sense. But, 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 the, the man has been leaning more on his reactionary takedowns lately, which I believe are going to serve him well in this fight against Pettis. Because even if Pettis does start finding his rhythm, you know, Pettis has improved his boxing. He's got a decent counter right hand, but that shot, that shot hasn't been a traditional right hands in general. haven't been a traditional thing for, for Jim Miller. He's got a good radar to that. And, and I believe he'll be one reactionary takedown away from, from forcing the fight on his terms and can make it ugly, uh, can take a decision. If not him be the one finding a submission in late, could Anthony Pettis submit Jim Miller? Sure he could. But if he does, it's going to be a, it's going to be off of a compromise, Jim Miller. You know, Jim Miller is going to have been hurt to the body first. Even in the Nate Diaz guillotine, Nate Diaz was doing deceptive work in the clinch. Anytime, you know, Jim Miller would go through the valley of fire, so to speak, to close the distance to get inside, he would try to take a break inside, like, oh, finally, I ate some shots, but I made it inside Nate Diaz, and Nate Diaz would immediately do those kind of winging liver punches and the knees to the body, and those were taking a lot out of Jim. Those were the quiet killers in that fight. So there's something there. Can Anthony find it? Absolutely. I'm not counting on it. That's why I didn't pick it, and in fact, I am betting against it because I put money on my man Jim Miller there. I did. All right, next fight. Uh... By the way, Jim Miller, I got him at like minus 145, and he's one up to like 75, 95, looking to get to 200. So, oh my goodness. All right, this one is uh, pretty much on the avoid list, because even though it's not, because if you read my summary, you'll see that it's pretty much an avoid there. Uh, the over was real tempting, though. I may have put it in something for fun, but we have Fabricio Verdum at plus 110 of an underdog, and Overeem, who's also been sitting consistently at minus 120, minus 130, depending on what you're looking at. As the favorite, I love me some Verdum here, man. And y'all know he's one of my favorite underdogs. He cashed big for me against Kane, but um, I, I couldn't pick him here, you know. Uh, his showmanship is crafty, and even though people you know, relegate his game or his second fights over him and just flops, which actually wasn't just flops when you go look at, look at it, the point is people are on to what Verdum is doing. And so is Overeem. And the only reason why Overeem got submitted in the first fight, he was already the superior wrestler, was taking him down at will and getting up even. But he didn't get up when he needed to. He rested and took a break in the second round for a split second, and and, and, and Verdum locked up the Kimura. Uh, which, by the way, in that fight, he came out during that jumping side sidekick to Travis Brown, where Joe Rollins, I've never seen that in a heavyweight fight. Verdum actually did it in that first fight with Overeem. Here comes their second fight in 2011 in Force and... Verdun tries to do the tricks that worked on Fedor before, so he's riding high on that trick. He's like, oh, I worked on the best in the world. I'm going to do it to Overeem. And Overeem showed. He's like, ah, I learned, motherfucker. You're going to stand up and fight my steroided ass. <laughs> Heavily breathing ass. And made him do so and, and took an ugly decision. Uh, and I think it's the same thing, you know, here, not not with the, any of the joking of the steroids or the breathing, but, you know, just as far as this could be ugly and it's probably going to be a decision because I think both men have too much to lose. And both guys, on their best and worst days, are still pretty damn dangerous and are borderline um, fire territory in certain phases of the fight, whether the clinch, the standing, or the ground. Both of them, realistically, have really strong arsenals to finish the fight in all three of those phases, right? So 
for that reason, I think Overeem's going to be very opportunistic and conservative here. That's why I have him at decision. But could I see Verdum coming forward and one of his wild, you know, blitz, shifting blitzes uh, pay off? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Overeem has been, you know, I have the stats here. What is it, like five out of his last ten he's been dropped or stopped? And then, um, yeah, dropped in five out of his last ten fights. And then Verdum's been, but Verdum's also been dropped in four out of his last seven, a slightly higher percentage there. So it's just, it's tough, man. It's coin flip city. I'm Hope my man Verdum does well, but I think Overeem, I think Overeem, uh, Overeem takes it in what should be a conservative, ugly fight with a few scares. All right, next one is Daniel Omialanchuk versus Curtis Blades, and it was one of those inflated lines I didn't even care to read. What is it like minus like six hundred or seven hundred of Blades? Anyways, um, yeah, I didn't play it at all, except what I did play did make the props. I feel like this one's going over. Over is only set at uh, one and a half rounds. Uh, for the total there at minus 130. I play that straight up, put it in some parlays because no matter how the weather is going, both guys are durable. I mean, Lanchik never been stopped by strikes. Blades, could he have been working on a submission game? Sure, but I, I see that at, like many wrestlers, um, whether you're talking about Gray Maynard or Cain Velasquez, you know, they develop their striking. They develop, the submissions kind of come last. It's submission defense first. They, they're forced to learn that first. But the offense kind of, they didn't get to that part of the game for the most part. I mean, traditionally, typically speaking, you know, I believe he'll have the chance here to show us how far he's gotten. But I'm not counting on Blades to get a stoppage by a submission. Could he get a stoppage? Sure. But I think it's going to be by accumulation positionally late because Omi Alanchik, even though <clears throat> I don't think it's going to be enough, he has, in his defense, shown some improvements in his get-up ability and his defense against the cage. I don't think he's going to get up. I think he's going to move just enough to force Blades to ride and strike, but but yeah, and, and make him retake him down and suplex him, all uh, uh, what was going on before his in, in knee injury and Blades' last fight before, um, what's his name, got injured? Boy, I apologize for people shouting at the podcast there. Pennsylvania dude. God damn it. Anyways, I'll come back to it. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I see him, you know, putting up a decent fight against Blades, so that's why I, I feel good about the over there. And Blades, again, he's not as bulletproof as, as as the line suggests because he's shown to be consistently hit with left hands off the counter from both stances, um, especially from the southpaw stance. I mean, the, most of the damage is done, done, and most of the hard shots were landed when he faced Ngannou when Ngannou was in the southpaw stance, and now he's facing his first real legit southpaw who strikings his specialty in uh, Damian Omielanchuk and counter left hands, especially off kicks, is Omielanchuk's specialty. You saw him, you know, ice Nandor Gilmino, and it's just a shot he looks for consistently throughout his UFC career since then. So that's going to be worth looking out for, man. I don't blame you for staying away and sprinkling a little bit on the dog for fun, but I just played the over one and a half because, uh, uh, yeah, I don't see Blade's trying to mix with uh this isn't the uh, this isn't the fight to, to show off his striking his team's pretty smart must know that so i just think we're in store for some wrestling for this fight so i played the over all right next fight is Z are we already on the co-main event motherfucker i think we are yeah my god co-main event Yoel romero still somehow the underdog though he opened as a favorite because i have him as a favorite despite picking that's right robert whitaker who the public Apparently agrees with me because they pushed and have kept him at a consistent minus 120 favorite. 
Um, again, I break these main card ones down much more in depth on uh, mixedmartialanalyst.com and my written breakdowns there. But 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 again, essentially it comes down to this: Romero could absolutely ice him on the feet, could absolutely ice him on the ground, could take him down, etc. etc. Except the narratives are kind of blown out of proportion. You know, of course he's a freak athlete. Not you know. Uh, None of my things picking against Romero have anything to do with any of those intangibles and why he's a freak athlete. I just think he's a freak athlete. I don't even care about the steroids. I don't even think about the steroid stuff or accusations or any of that stuff. I'm beyond that. Not that I was ever one to be hung up on it, but you know what I'm saying. It's not not an issue, nor is it a part of this breakdown or why I'm, I'm picking against him. <clears throat> I just think that, you know, I love me some third-round finishers. Uh, I don't want to be dude. I called it. But I did call him to beat Chris Weidman. And I did state, even if you go read about the breakdown, that Yoel Romero will fake and kind of plant shots. He doesn't depend on his wrestling. He'll kind of use wrestling to kind of just open up his striking and get it in your head and get you reacting and plant, plant seeds there. And later in the fight, he'll go. So when he'll go to look to change the level, he'll go to sprawl, thinking that takedown's coming. Up comes a knee. And sure enough, that happened against uh, Chris Weidman. The problem is that setup in particular, and more particularly the wrestling, won't be an issue here. One, Romero, again, like I said with the Brad Tavares breakdown, Romero doesn't, aside from that fight, he really doesn't use it a lot. Like if he uses it, it's planting seeds or it's like a reaction because guys try to wrestle on him. And if you look at the most of the, the gifts out there, it's these crazy scrambles where like Tim Kennedy will try to shoot and then he'll wrestle, re wrestle out and kind of bounce up like a superhero. And that's super impressive. But Robert Whitaker's not going to be doing that. In fact, he's one of the only opponents that won't be, you know, unless he just decides randomly and goes out there and bizarro Whitaker. Barring that, you know, looking at uh, you know, barring that happening, I think I think I think that'll come true because you look at Romero's past past opponents and all of them have tried to wrestle with him which is a big mistake I mean it's good if you want to get him tired but in, in, in this kind of a fight the nature he'll already have that in the back of his head to worry about because it's a five round fight that's the nature of it but um, it's bad because Joao Romero is just a better better wrestler and making the fight ugly like that gives him a chance to land his strikes that's where he's most devastating because yes he's devastating coming forward but he's also very open coming forward he's very looping he's very wide and we've seen guys counter counter him for, with multiple strikes before and against one of the better footwork angle readers baiters trap setters and one of my favorite shots the left hook the check left hook the offbeat left hook the exploding coming forward left hook robert whitaker's got them all and i see that being money for him in this fight but he still nevertheless despite romero's defenses his offense will actually be strong in the sense of his non-dominant hand because i actually see romero's right hook having play you know whitaker even though his defense and his head movement his reactions are on point he does keep his lead hand a little low there and if he's keeping his lead left hand low well the right hand is the common culprit so coming from romero what's going to come in the form of a right hook often the southpaw's best strikes because romero's explosive and crazy and gets those knees but really he makes his money like most southpaws you know the, the, the left hand right hook combinations and continuums um that being said whitaker has the on paper advantage standing ah sorry getting woken up there but uh he has the on paper advantage of standing and uh 
you know, he's one of the more new age guys uh, as far as the takedown defense, you know, using footwork and, and using circling, uh, hand fighting, lever awareness, not just the typical sprawl and underhook because against superior grapplers slash wrestlers, although sometimes you have to sprawl and underhook, obviously, they're, they're fundamentals, they're necessities, but electing to do that can often lead to more grappling, which in turn cause them to lose against superior grapplers and wrestlers. So you like to see guys not wasting time that are circling off the break and striking off the break. You know, you see Derek Brunson do it, you know, Yoel has crazy bursts, but there's like three-second bursts, right? The three to five-second bursts, three to five-shot combinations at most. We saw Robert Whitaker survive a literal three-and-a-half-minute burst from Derek Brunson. Again, another similar dynamic, athletic, knockout power, southpaw, who almost beat Yoel Romero for what that's worth. Um, we saw him survive that, and again, back to the, the, the takedown, new age takedown defense, you know, we, we, we see Brunson get Whitaker against the fence, and Whitaker immediately circle away, but then circle right back in with the uppercut, you know, strikes like that in those small spaces are going to serve him very well against Romero, as I, as I see him landing that, er, you know, earlier late, you know, it, it's hard, it's like, it's not that, it's not a simple, it's clear, you know, a clear-cut dynamic as the next fight is, you know, if it's early, if it's one person, it's late, it's the other, but no, I, I think, um, I think if Romero goes at him early, he could wake the dragon, and I think knowing that, and I think also knowing that it's a five-round fight, I actually expect Romero to be coming out a little more conservative. You know, he's always in great shape, but seems a little more slim than usual. So I'm assuming he's done a lot of cardio. He's, he's ready for the haul. Uh, it's a smart team. He's, he's a competitor who shows up on game day. I expect Romero to not just be competitive, but have tricks up his sleeve and, 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 and uh, run his gas tank longer than most suspect. I mean, I am one to to criticize him on that trope, but it's deceptive, you know? Uh, it's not as easy as, well, he's not tired. He gets third-round finishes. I love third-round finishes, but that doesn't mean he doesn't get tired. The reason why he gets third-round finishes is because he's, he's about to run out of time and he's usually behind on points. And if you go and watch Yoel Romero's, you know, it's, it's, it, you know him, him wrestle or, or speak to people that know about his career, what you'll get is... You know, there was a lot of times he'd be waiting to the final frames of matches before he would turn it up, get his pins, get his takedowns, get his points. Uh, he was one of those guys because obviously now as a 40-year-old, but even more so as a 30- and 20-year-old, he could wait to the final frame to do it. And that habit is obviously deeply still instilled in him to where in MMA you see him still get waiting to the final frame to get a lot. So the question is, how does he rewire his mindset, you know? If anything, the third round becomes less dangerous now, no matter how well or well he isn't doing or is prepared in the fight, um, because of the men if, if, because of the mentality. If, if it's a if it's a mental trigger, right? How does he rewire himself going into the fifth round? I mean, I I, I hope he doesn't wait to the fifth round to have his third round third round UL Romero moment. That's a long time to be boxing it up with Bobby Knuckles, right? So, for that reason, I do see Whitaker having advantages late, but I could also see him having it early. You know. Um, Again, this is a game of inches. This is crazy to think. You know, as a 40-year-old and a 26-year-old, and despite the age gap, these are the two fastest middleweights. You know, two of them, two, some of the most athletic ones. I mean, Yoel Merrill, obviously, probably the most athletic fighter bar none in any division, but just saying, you know, he's he's a fast old guy. My goodness, I'm excited for that fight. I am really, really freaking excited for that fight. All right, let's go to the main event. I'm really excited for this one because you all know I'm a... 
I don't want to say you know, I'm a fan of Whitaker. You know, I'm a fan of Romero too. I, I, I've been picking both these guys as underdogs. They're both, you know, my favorite. But as far as the Dark Horse title, that one I gave to Whitaker and not to Romero. And the only other person I've been given that Dark Horse title for a long time now. That's right, Valentina Shevchenko rematch with Amanda Nunes for the title. Oh my goodness, I'm excited for this one. And apparently, people. Uh, you know, weren't high on Shevchenko first. I was on an island picking her against Nunez the first time. And I was certainly on an island, for the most part, picking her against Holm. Um, and I think people are, are, are finally now caught on, and they're taking Shevchenko for real, especially after that Juliana Pena fight, where, again, the closest matchup you can get to imitating uh, Amanda Nunez and one of the worst matchups on paper for Valentina Shevchenko was a pressure, durable person like Pena. And we saw her you know, use her underrated wrestling, her underrated clinch game, her trips to get takedowns. Um, although she did play a little defense longer than I thought, which is a problem for Shevchenko. She's been stuck playing defense, right? We, we, that's what costed her rounds and costed her the first fight with Nunes. But she has five rounds to work. People are on to her, hence she's coming into this fight as the favorite. Um, and I like it because, you know, we've seen her survive Nunez's worse on the ground because I, I don't think, even though Nunez is by far and none the, the, the heaviest hitter of the division, um, I don't see her one-shot KOing Shevchenko who has a chin and a bone structure. I mean, she is built to fight. I mean, forget that she's been fighting literally since age four or six years old. I mean, she was born into a martial arts family. I mean, when she says that, it may sound cheesy, because, you know, it's her second language. Like, I promise to give all in everything when I fight. But, man, she she fucking means it, man. She's born to do nothing else. The sky is, no, the sky is martial arts. Everything is martial fucking arts. I mean, everything is combat. She, what are her hobbies? Uh, shooting shit. <laughs> uh, professionally, uh, you know, earning medals in it. You know, just everything is just dedicated to combat uh, no matter what's around her. <laughs> <laughs> whether she has weapons or not, armed combat or unarmed combat. I mean, Bullet Shevchenko is no joke. Um, and, you know, I know, yeah, obviously I'm super high on Shevchenko, but, again, this isn't a personal bias here. Uh, this is just, again, a Southpaw fighter that, you know, some fighters you have good reads on, some you don't. There's plenty of fighters who I admit I have bad reads on. But when it comes to, you know, fighters who are Southpaw or Taekwondo bases or, you know, have these traditional martial arts bases, yeah, I tend to read those a little more better, coincidentally or not, because old Dan Tom's Southpaw comes from a lot of these bases. So, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense in that aspect. If there is any bias, I would say it is of the negative toward Amanda Nunes. Not my like for Shevchenko, but uh, don't get me wrong. I'm stoked that, you know, have a first openly gay champion is... is is huge and it may not feel huge to people, especially the demographic that generally watch the sport or the demographic that I'm a part of, of you know, uh, straight 18 to 34 males or whatever the demographic is, right? The key demographic. But I, I think retrospectively, it's a huge thing. The problem is, much as you want, I want to get behind her. <sighs> My goodness, I try not to condemn fighters for a post fight speech. There's an animalistic thing that's going through them that you can't condemn them for, but boy. Does it show a lot of their character? And Amanda Nunes is probably one of the worst post-fight speeches fucking ever. That's why I was dreading. As soon as it got promoted to the main event, uh, her and Misha Tate at UFC, you know, the last international fight week, I was like, oh my god, can we, despite all the pullouts that were plagued this fight week, are we really going to end international fight week with an Amanda Nunes post-fight speech? And sure enough, 
oh, sure enough, we did. And I mean, not just it's annoying, but she's just borderline disrespectful. Um, she barely ever congratulates or acknowledges her opponents, ever. She only started doing it maybe four fights ago. Uh, go look at her fight with Raquel Paul Louis, who took the fight like short notice just so uh, Amanda Nunes could have a fight in Invicta. And, you know, Raquel almost gets her back and then gets her back taken. Amanda puts her out. And you see her go unconscious and her head next to the cage. And not only does she, you know, kind of let go late and, the, you know, and the ref's like literally having to yank her arms off an unconscious Raquel. But then she starts like doing like an elbow to the, like elbowing the mat where she's el- hitting both of her elbows to the mat. Like, yes, yes, yes. And I think the first one hits an unconscious Raquel and she doesn't give a fuck. She just keeps elbowing to the mat, not realizing there's an unconscious body next to her. And you see the ref dragging Raquel's unconscious body away from Nunez's celebratory elbows as she keeps going around for what feels like another five or ten minutes to where the, the commentators, Kedzie and whoever else is on the call, almost comically laughing, just Nunez going, just doing her like weird little savage celebration. And not savage in the cool Jim Miller way, but savage is in like, this person, I think, was raised by animals. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't... I just... Yeah, Nunes is a, is, a, is a plethora of them. I'm not trying to focus on the negative. But it, although it may end up incriminating me more, I will say, defend myself, that there is no personal bias for Shevchenko in this pick. If anything, there's a bias the other way. Nevertheless, it does not change the fact that Amanda Nunes has made some real improvements that not a lot of people talk about, particularly her jab. And I'm interesting to see... If she wasn't facing a southpaw, I'd give her more, you know, more of an edge in the striking because the jab, as you know, is the one of the more harder strikes to find against a southpaw. But Amanda, you know, she's a real underrated footwork. You know, I'm joking about her her savagery and like being like an animal going in there. But man, she has a real intelligence to her approach. She doesn't just rush in there and strike anymore. Like she will kind of creep in and then start stepping out at angles along the outside, moving laterally, always taking an angle. And stepping in with the jab to initiate, taking the angle out, and coming right back in line with her, her devastating right hand, which will be worth looking out for here, you know? And I like it because she, she's mixing it up, too. She she's Even when she has an opponent hurt, like you saw with Tate and Rousey, like Nunez is throwing like little check jabs to the body um, to kind of drop their guard, to keep them guessing. And to keep her safe, she's throwing little check jabs up to the face on her way out of exchange. It's like, there really is a lot to like, so, like, don't let my bullshit narrative... Uh, plague plague the analysis too much here because there really is a lot to like about Nunes. The problem is we haven't seen proof. I mean, she, she, she beat, what, two fighters that were on their way out that even if they were on their way in and fighting at their best would have still had stylistically tough matches, would still stylistically provide completely different matchups than what Shevchenko brings to the table. You know, it's hard not to account for these things. It's hard not to account for the fact that Shevchenko fought a weird fight even for her that time and still took Amanda Nunes' best and was able to come through and start winning that round. And if there was even not even just another round, if there was another minute, I think she would have finished Amanda Nunes. You can't ignore that. You can't ignore the fact that Amanda Nunes, not just in that fight, in, 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 in all her fights that have, have gone anywhere past a round, you start to see her fade. Uh, you know, it's hard to ignore these things. You know, could she come out and be completely improved as far as her gas tank? Sure, absolutely. That's hard to say without actually knowing, without actually having a sample size to draw from. And then furthermore, to bank on something you haven't seen yet against someone, in my opinion, is the best five-round female five-round fighter. But what about Holly Holm, the ultimate point fighter? Well, she beat her. What about Yuani and Jacek? A great argument. 
even with what I'm about to say, a great argument still nonetheless. But what I'm about to say is that, well, she beat Yuani and Jacek three times. So it's in Muay Thai. So it's you can make that argument. I'm not saying it's a, it's a truth. I'm not trying to take away from Shevchenko, Holm, or Nunes here by saying that. But boy, boy, this the, the, despite you know being the sitting champion who already held a victory within a year or two over the, the opponent, it feels like a tough, tall hill for Amanda Nunes to climb in this fight. And that's just that's just a fact, you know. And uh, and I think we're gonna see uh, the girl who I can't call a dark horse because she's become a title contender um, get the title, which is crazy because she should be competing at 125 Shevchenko. But um, but yeah, I think she survives the early storm, and I put a sprinkle on the fourth round finish for like some crazy odds. And uh, but officially, I, I play the the plus 160 Shevchenko inside the distance. Um, and uh, with a, uh, you know, uh, a hedge slash parlay piece, I don't know if I listed it there, but Shevchenko Nunez doesn't go the distance, minus 240. Yeah, definitely worth it. I, I mean, not definitely. I, you know, well, definitely for me, because I mean, I could see, you know, Shevchenko getting a decision, but honestly, even if, like, it's just so hard, even if Nunez is putting a competitive fight or winning, it's hard to see you're just, like, going five rounds. And not gassing out, especially if she's losing, because losing is more exhausting whether you're on the feet or on the ground. But even if she's winning, like, to not just give in and go for the kill, you know, thinking she has it when she doesn't, um, could cost her. Because, again, it wasn't like Shevchenko was giving her body language, like, oh, I'm hurt. Like, Shevchenko didn't blink a fucking eye. Like, she's scary, man. Like, she was eating some hard shots, too, from a man in that first fight. And you see her get cut, and she doesn't blink. She's not bothered. She doesn't check for blood she sees the blood she's not worried like there's little tells like that tell me where a fighter's at man she's the real real goddamn deal so it is hard to see this one going to the distance ladies and gentlemen so i played that straight up wow we did pretty good time man we, we i went through two cards and despite dan tom being long-winded we're ending right around the normal time as we as we normally do so uh i don't want to prolong it too much anymore just to get some shout outs my man matt wells was hoping to see him here this weekend but i wasn't able to been listening and retweeting his slip and dip podcast go check them out guys as well as my man brian lacy really enjoyed uh his recent one punch podcast with brad pickett over there as he's getting them into uh some tv stuff or something i don't know but i haven't seen you in a while brian so hope you're doing well man you're killing it over there with the commentary for uh acb um and uh if y'all want to give any love my way uh, remember, you can find us at the MMA, find me at the MMA analyst at the PYN podcasts on Twitter, and go follow our Instagram and Facebook pages at the PYN podcast as well. Not going to spam you; every little helps a lot. But most importantly, we got Amazon click-throughs coming up. That's right, my man Mike Stith is putting them up as we speak, so those should be up there for you. Those are going to help a whole lot, especially with maybe the things I got coming. Every little helps a lot. Um, so again, you don't. Uh, you know, whether it's the on it, the DraftKings, or the Amazon click-throughs, you don't have to spend any extra money to support. Or if you do, you do want to just give it straight up. We do have a, a PayPal donation, uh, and either way, I will find ways to give people not you know, too revealing, but I do want to give you guys acknowledgments at least. So clever shout-out. So don't worry, I'm not gonna. 
this person gave this much and here's their address. I'm not going to do any shit like that. But people that do contribute through those click-through links or through the donations will get shout-outs as well as people who leave five-star reviews. That's right. The, the way to support without even costing any, spending any money anywhere. Um, five-star review on iTunes really helps. We're really trying to grow this podcast, man. I think we got a good thing going here. And judging by the feedback, sounds like y'all like it too. And... Uh, and yeah, so 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 tell a friend. Uh, that's also the best way to, to to help help support, help grow. Honestly, it means so much, especially times like like these, whether it's crazy work or you know life's kind of got you got, got 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 you ducking and weaving, having to roll with punches. It's a lot easier to roll with punches when I have uh, some homies such as y'all listeners to roll and hang with. Thank you guys very much. We'll do an after-party edition and recap for sure in some form. Maybe even do some bonus content. Hit me up if you're uh, on the Las Vegas Strip this weekend. Maybe I'll see you guys down there. And uh, until next time, that's right, protect your neck.